So today we have Andrew Young on the podcast. Andrew is a global product lead at Google, was formerly a business operations lead at Meta. He's an advisor, investor, writer. Andrew is mostly known for his extravagant tech parties where he brings in leaders, founders, and builders in the space. He's produced hundreds of events for tens of thousands of people all across North America. I'll let him tell you more about that. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, you nailed the intro. That's exactly <laughs> it. You told it better than I could have told it. So, All right, amazing. I want to start at the very beginning of your journey, not just with the events, but like in life. So I yeah. know you grew up in Shanghai. You yeah. eventually came here to Toronto to study. So just tell me more about that growing up in Shanghai and then migrating here for your for your university. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, uh, you know, I'm 27 years old. In the last 27 years, I've lived in five different countries and roughly an equal amount of time in each one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I spent 18 years in Asia, grew up in Hong Kong, moved to Taiwan, moved to Shanghai. And then I moved to Canada for school um, because, you know, schools here are good and and affordable. Um, And then I moved to New York City three years ago. And every time I moved, um, you know, the reason that I'm so passionate about building community and gathering people together and helping people make friends and do business is because growing up, I had no sense of community. Um, Every time I moved, uh, was because of you know family reasons, and I had to rebuild my sense of uh, my my network, my sense of self, like all those things that to make yeah. new friends. And so I got really good at that, you know, throughout um, you know throughout childhood and the, my formative years. And I got really good at like making friends, and mm-hmm. and that's that's why I spend most of my time doing that now. I see. So it's kind of like almost like restarting every time because a new country is like you have no remnants and like it's different cultures across different places right 100 percent, very very different too i remember the the shifts from going from shanghai to to canada Mm -hmm. that was a huge culture shock for me i went from a place where everyone looked like me to like a place where nobody looked so it was it was a big (laughs) culture change for me for sure so how was that your university experience here i know you went to uft and studied rotman yeah tell me more about that yeah uft was um UFT was tough. It was a tough school. Um, you know, there's a meme where there's like a bell curve meme, which is, you know, <laughs> they they sort of like funnel people out with with tough grading and their really tough curriculum. Yeah. And I definitely felt that. I didn't work very hard, hard in high school. So when I got to UFT, I didn't even know calculus. Um, I didn't know these basic math concepts that I had yeah. to relearn from scratch. So honestly, I spent most of my time um, studying. And my first year of school, like in high school, I was a big party animal and I'd go to clubs <laughs> in high school and stuff. Uh, and, you know, first year in Canada, I didn't even really drink. I didn't do anything. I just studied. Mm. And so U of T uh, taught me sort of the uh, the power of like grinding and, and the power of hard work and um, the power of like learning how to stand out because, they're, you know, U of T is 60,000 students. So mm. really had to learn how to differentiate myself and, and work hard. Yeah, it's not called nicknamed UF Tears for a UF Tears, yes. That first year is definitely the most brutal thing I've experienced. I went there as well. Right. Um, another thing is I've always heard Shanghai is like very party-centric in high school. I have a lot of friends that went there. Like they're partying since they were 14. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like just partying at that young of an age. I started partying at 15. Um, start going, literally, go, not, and, and you know, like most people start partying and they go to house parties and they they, mm-hmm. they drink in the, in the park and they drink in the, you know, in the countryside. <laughs> yeah. I went to clubs, straight up clubs where we've got to pat it down. Funny enough, they didn't check IDs, which is why we started at such a young age, but we got patted down. These were like intense security guards armed, um, you know, with China, so not with guns, but just armed. Um, and it was a serious experience. We would be in a club with like 30 and 40 year olds. Um, so that was an intense childhood. You know, that was an intense time to spend my high school. Uh, but the way I describe Shanghai is 
you know, it's changed a lot in the last several years, but it's a bit yeah. like the Wild West where you can do anything you want, you have access to anything you want, but you have to deal with the consequences. So I, I had a really, um, you know, bit of a rough time in high school because I, I had access to so many things and I got in a bit of trouble, uh, but it was, a, it was a crazy time for sure. <laughs> no, it sounds like it. So fast forward to university, UFT seemed tough, you grinded. Mm -hmm. What about after? So... U of T was tough, uh, and I just recently wrote about this in my blog. Uh, you know, the first few years of my career, I was, I was lost. And I was lost because I couldn't find fulfillment. And I couldn't find fulfillment because, um, you know, I was taught by parents, by the world, by the society that I had to, out of school, just get a job that paid well. Mm -hmm. And I went to, you know, a decent company. I worked at Bell Canada in a role in, in, a, in a role and in a capacity that didn't energize me. So I did, like, an analyst role, and I just wasn't fulfilled. And at the time... Yeah, I didn't know much. So I was like, I wasn't fulfilled because uh, I'm not good at this. And so I spent all my energy elsewhere. I started training martial arts. I went to Thailand to do a fight camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went to all the music festivals, did a ton of partying, and I got my fulfillment there. Um, it wasn't until maybe like two years ago where I'm like, I know what I'm supposed to do and I, I know what I was born to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found fulfillment. So um, yeah, first job at a school, Bell Canada. Uh, it, was, um, it was a learning experience, but it wasn't, you know, I knew immediately it wasn't, wasn't the end goal. Yeah. So from there, how did you trans? So you were doing analysts, like business analysts. Like yeah, business. I like pulling data. Yeah. Um, people used to ask me when I worked there, like, "What do you do as your job?" I was like, "I just pull data." That's how passionate <laughs> I was about my job. I just pull data. Um, and then I, you know, I, I went through a few personal things, and I was like, uh, "What's next?" You know, Toronto seven years. What's next? And this was around the time of COVID, where everyone was evaluating a life transition, and I was like. New York has always been a dream. Like living 18 years in Asia and looking at Western media and TV, I'm like, yeah. New York City is the place to be. That's the hub. It's the hub. <laughs> it's the place to be. Um, and I was like, how do I get there? Uh, and I figured like, I need a visa. I need a job that will sponsor that visa. I need a bunch of things to go right for me to get there. It wasn't an easy path. And, uh, you know, then, you know, you start here. I mean, and tech was thriving at this time because of COVID um, and everything was digital. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do tech. Um, and it took like six to eight months of just grinding out interviews and networking. I like networked my ass off so yeah. much networking and I got really good at it until I got my first job at Facebook, but it wasn't, wasn't a linear path. It was a bunch of, again, a bunch of meeting people and, and interviewing and getting rejected and a bunch of that stuff. So like going into product, how did you learn these skills? Cause I know like as a software developer, it's yeah. kind of like a laid out path where like you grind lead code. You do a right. bunch of interview questions. There is some networking aspect to it, but you kind of have like a formula where like you have to get good at coding, build a lot of projects, and then you can get these like software dev jobs and then move up. Yeah. With product, I'm not sure how it is. So if you want to just tell me more about yeah. that, like what's that grind like? Uh, I have a hot take, which is I think all these business jobs are the same thing. Mm. Um, and I've done a lot of them. You know, I've done, you know, the product job. I've done like strategy and ops. I've done analysts. I've done risk management, marketing. I've, I've done all these things. They're all the same job. And I think people get into product because I think in the in the business side of things, you're on a technical side, but on the business side of things, yeah. um, product is seen as like the gold standard almost as like everyone wants to be in product mm -hmm. because it pays the best. Um, and so people who get into product uh, will sort of create like a high barrier of entry and they want to sort of gatekeep and prevent other people from getting in because they want to feel special about themselves. And it's a very <laughs> cynical take and I've seen it happen so many times and that there's a whole industry dedicated to like, how, here's how you get into product. But they're all like the same thing um, they all require the same skills, which is you have to be good with people. You have to be good at problem solving. 
um, and you have to be uh, operationally rigorous and you have to be good with project management and, and organized and things like that. And very early on, I realized that. I'm like, all these jobs take the same skills and there's so much noise. Everyone's like, you need product sense. Uh, yeah. So product sense is like, if someone asks you a question and they're like, how would you build a product for a blind person? That's product sense. Like, how would you build a product for a blind person? Um, but you can train yourself to like learn that way. Uh, so I think I very quickly realized um, the high level principles of how to do any of these jobs. And I got really good at gaming interviews. And actually today I coach people how to do interviews. Mm -hmm. I got really good at gaming interviews and it was, that, that was it. Um, you know, getting in terms of getting a tech job, the first step is getting your foot in the door, which is networking and networking. is just get, you know, it's just people. It's just high volume of people and increasing your conversion rate of someone who's likely to, um, to refer to your job. And then the second part of the funnel is like, how do you actually get the job? And that's just practicing interviewing. So practice networking, practice interviewing, then you got the job. So two follow questions to that. The first being like, what are you practicing? So in a product mm. interview, right. I've never been in product at all. Like I've done mm. marketing, I've done software, but what is like the interview process and like, what are they looking for when they're interviewing you? They are looking for, you know, I'll say broadly, uh, because every company does it very, very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll speak broadly to like sort of the Facebooks and the Googles and the big tech yeah. companies. They're looking for structured and logical problem solving. So when I throw you a crazy question, um, like the one, you know, I think one of the questions I got was like, uh, you know, I won't use Google as an example because I, I probably, they probably don't want me to share these things. But for example, if you're going to build uh, like an office in a city in India, how would you do it? That's like a question they ask, okay. uh, these tech companies ask. And a lot of people just, you know, the, the simplest, well, the worst answer you can say is, I have no clue. That's the worst thing you can say. <laughs> uh, the second worst answer you can say is, um, I would do this and this, and just a simple answer. The best way to approach that question is, imagine if we were at a bar or at a restaurant and you asked me that question. I wouldn't just answer. I would probably be like, what kind of office you're looking for? What's the purpose of the office? Um, like, why do you want to build it? Like, what are your, what's your budget? What are your parameters? And it's like being cons consultative and understanding why you want to do it in the first place and working with you to develop a solution. And that's how all these product interviews are. They ask you really tough questions and most people freeze and they just answer. Mm -hmm. You know, if I asked you like, how many balloons can you fit in this room? You'd be like, I, you know, someone would be like, I hundred, I don't know. That's the worst thing yeah. you can say. But the best way to approach it is like, why do you want to put balloons in this room? And, you know, firing back and just putting it back on them and understanding what you're trying to solve and so you can solve it together. Okay, that's very interesting because it is similar with just like the interviews I've done in software. Yeah. I won't say the company, but one of the questions I was asked is like design a system for a parking garage. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. <laughs> and then yeah. from there, you have to like break it down and like compartmentalize all the problems. So it kind of seems similar in terms of... You got like, it. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That's yeah. interesting. So... You got the job at Meta. What was your role when you first started there? My role, my, my official title was uh, the operations and enablement lead for North America. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I was very unqualified for that job, which I realized my first six months in, but I interviewed so well. Um, and they're like, we got to hire this guy. Uh, so that job, um, it's interesting because it's it was a new team. Um, and the scope of that job changed throughout the three years I was there. So when I first started, it was, um, you know, Meta has these, massive sales teams that help mm -hmm. sell the product. Uh, my job was to help those sales teams and develop uh, the technology tools and processes for them to perform better. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but you know, for example, developing uh, like a CRM system for them or developing a better goaling system or a better, um, you know, Google will call them OKRs, uh, better targets for them to race towards. So they know exactly what their goalposts are. So, you know, 
Just okay. some examples. And were you managing like a team at this time? No, or I came like in, just... I was like 25, so I was pretty young. So I came in as a, as an IC and, and um, at a certain point, I sort of like uh, individual contributor, okay. which means uh, no, no direct reports. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And then, so what made you leave that and then go to Google now, which is where you're at? Yeah. Um, a few reasons. What, the biggest reason was, uh, I guess, you know, I've told a bunch of people this. Biggest reason was because my, my visa wasn't working out there and I always had the end goal to get a green card. As an immigrant, you know, I want a green card. I don't want to be working for a company forever. Um, and they, they just had some stuff going on at the time and they couldn't give me a green card. They couldn't give anyone a green card, actually, um, for many reasons that I, I probably can't mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went over to Google and I'm like, what's, you know, what's a place that can accelerate my path to getting a green card while giving me, um, keeping me equally, what's the word, energized and, and um, you know, in a, in a role that I, I like and will be challenged mm-hmm. by. Um, so I went to Google. Yeah. Okay, I see. And then was it at Google, you were doing the same thing or how was that? A little bit different. Uh, I, mo- I moved to like a product role. Um, mm. There are a lot of different types of product roles at Google. Um, there's product manager, product marketing, product lead. Uh, and so I got, I got into one of the... Um, I guess more like technical or data heavy product mm-hmm. roles, um, which again, I won't talk too much about, uh, but um, yeah, landed there five months ago, um, enjoying it, got a great team based out of San Francisco. It's It's been a good time. And here is when you're like leading a team and you have people no, reporting I'm, to you or are you I'm still, still pretty IC? new. I'm still <laughs> okay. pretty new. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been, you know, it's been a bit of, uh, you know, I won't say chaos, but I've been shifted around a few times mm-hmm. on projects just because the scope of like the Google stuff is so big. Yeah. And you know, there's different priorities coming in every, every month, you know, with AI and like there's new stuff, new priorities basically changing. Um, so it's been, I've been onboarding a few different things. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I kind of want to backtrack a little bit because going from working here at Bell as an analyst to jumping to Facebook, that's yeah. like a very, Big, big change like it's uh it's yeah. probably it was hard to do so like i want to ask you how how do you choose your next job and like what advice would you give mm. to someone to like be able to make that big jump like you did yeah great question so when i look at career transitions or when i look at like what do i do next or mm-hmm. really what do i do in the next five to ten years what do i want to do in the next five to ten years um i i look at things in like three to four different categories uh when i evaluate opportunities uh, one of them is um, the experience itself. So it's like, what can it teach me? Mm-hmm. Um, what stories can I tell as a result of doing this job? And then like, what access will it give me? So like the actual experience of doing the job, that's one thing I consider. Another thing is the people, and I'm all about people. So it's people is, who do I meet? Who do I get to work for? And who do I get access to? Like if I work at Facebook, um, you know, do I get access to like the, the C-suite, Zuck, Zuckerberg? Probably mm-hmm. not. I actually called DM the CTO, Boz. Um, so, so that, you know, it does work sometimes in big companies, but who can I get access to potentially? Um, and then I look at another category, which I call, you know, let's just say life, uh, like life benefits, which is how much money you get paid, where do you get to live, you know, all these things. And then the final category of things I look at, um, is, is value. So how much does this align with my life system and what I'm passionate about and what I call like my zone of genius, which is like what I love doing what I'm energized by. So, so I look at these four things and I evaluate sort of what's most important to me within these buckets. Mm-hmm. And that's how I land on the opportunities. And when I was still at Bell, you know, I was really prioritizing sort of the life thing. I wanted to work in New York City and then also the experience thing. I wanted to experience big tech. Mm-hmm. And now it's a little bit different. 
because the life thing has has sort of like decreased where I'm like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm where I want to be. I don't really care about making that much money anymore. It's not a huge priority for me. Now it's about um, learning. Now it's really about learning. Maybe it's a bit backward, but now it's about learning. I want to test and learn. I'll spend a lot of money to learn things. Um, uh, and I'll spend a lot of money to get access to things, uh, access to things that will help me get where I want to be in the next 10 years. So those things will shift over time. And, you know, as a last example, if someone is in their 40s and they have a family, they're not going to prioritize that much like the learning, right? They're mm-hmm. prioritized the life stuff. So these four buckets is how I start to think about my uh, my career yeah. transitions. That's really interesting because I feel like most I really like the way you broke it down because that really is the case. I feel like most people don't really think about the other three. They just think about the job. Yeah. And like what the compensation and then what the job is. But like I really like the who gives you access to the life and like what you can learn. That 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 stuff matters way more than the operations, I feel like, of the job. Cause or it's like 100%. neck and neck. The 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 you know the most interesting thing is that most people um they actually just want what everyone else wants. I mean, this is true in life, but especially in jobs. <laughs> yeah. And you know this because if I went into like a graduate rotational program where everyone comes out of school, goes into the same cohort of people. And there's, you know, it's defined, you know, I would define the culture of that by groupthink, which is everyone, like they're like, you know, what's the first rotation you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's based off what everyone else wants. So the most popular ones, even if they're on the best roles, they're normally like, which jobs sound the sexiest? Everybody goes for it. Mm-hmm. These aren't like the best jobs at all. Yeah. They just sound good. Um, so I think a lot of people in their early career, they're like consulting, finance, but like why? Like figure out like what drives you, yeah. you know, and and then and then pick that. No, that's so true. And hate to admit it, but I fell victim to this as well, where yeah. like I was trying to pursue software development, right? Because that's what was hot at the time. All my friends were doing it. They were getting the good money, the benefits, the lifestyle, and then I had to like take a step back and be like, is this really what I want? Yeah, and then. That's how I evaluated and kind of had to like do a little bit of like learning about me and just not having that group think, like you said, just following 100%. what everyone else is doing. So 100%, yeah. That's very true. People tend to make decisions just like it's yeah. a little sheepish. Yeah, know? it's most of the world. It's most <laughs> of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to pivot again and talk about what you're well, <laughs> very well known for, which is your big tech events. So I know you probably told this. Dozens of time. <laughs> I'm gonna have you say it one more time in case anyone doesn't know you and is new to you and what you do. So just tell me how you got started with your events. You moved up to New York from Toronto, you got your job, and then COVID hit and Andrew's mixer started. So tell me about that inception. Yeah. So I moved to New York City in 2020, August mm-hmm. 2020, in the middle of COVID. Uh, and this was a time where everything in New York was shut down. And this was a time of mass exodus when everyone had left New York City, including people I knew there. So I, 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 you know, I, I think I had like one friend when I got there, my buddy, Josh, Mm -hmm. um, who like took me around and stuff and all my other friends had left. And I, I was thinking two things. One was like, damn, I don't have any friends. And the second thing was like, honestly, if I did, um, I moved here for a reason. And, and the reason was, and I, the idea of like almost like rebirth, uh, you know, I, I wasn't fulfilled in Toronto and I wasn't really ambitious and I'm in this new city city. I can like recreate myself and who I want to be. Um, so I took it to myself to sort of meet, all these ambitious tech people online. And I got really good at sort of like uh, funneling, I call it the URL mm-hmm. to the IRL, like bringing people to dinners from Twitter and, and LinkedIn. <laughs> I got really good at that. And I started hosting these dinners um, and I hosted every week at one point. And after three years, I mean, you've seen the impact. After three years, I've hosted over a hundred events, uh, six different cities in North America for over 10,000 people. 
And some of those attendees have included um, a lot of founders, operators, and investors, but some of the attendees have included the co-founder of Duolingo, Severin, um, Lance Armstrong's teammate, who is also the chief product officer of Goldman Sachs, who was also the guy who built Google Plus. Like all these incredible people have come to these events, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. Um, and underpinning these events, because you know you've, you realize once you have the distribution, you can then help connect people at scale. So I run a deal flow program where I help, I've helped dozens, or if not hundreds of founders raise money through my, through the, my investor network. I've helped people get jobs um, and I and I advise startups on how to do what I did. And I advise startups on marketing and product decisions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack here. So I want to kind of break yeah. it down with when you first started, like, did you ever have the vision of it getting to the scale or were you just like, I want to do one dinner, next dinner, and then 10 people turns into 20, 20 turns into 40. And it just, how was that like scale yeah. of you growing this? I didn't start with the intention of being like, I want to be a famous events guy <laughs> at all. Like that was not even close. I don't love being in, you know, this is contradictory to why I'm here, but I don't like love being in spotlight, which is why a lot of my stuff online is anonymous, except for my LinkedIn, but on Twitter and Instagram is pretty anonymous. Um, I started cause I really wanted to meet people and I was like, I was in New York city and I came here to meet the brightest um, and, and the most extraordinary people. That's, you know, that's why I started reaching out to people I found interesting. And it just grew over time. And I think what really got to me was at some of these events, people were telling me how impactful they were in terms of people were like, listen, like during COVID, my entire friend circle left the city mm-hmm. and I was extremely lonely. I remember that Christmas, I was extremely lonely. Um, but I met my new friends through your events and he was like, thank you so much. And I was like, that really tugged at my heartstrings. And I was like, yeah. that's impactful as fuck. Like that's insane. Um, and then founders would be like, I raised money through you. I hired money. Th- I hired uh, talent through you. Um, and that's what today just keeps me going because a lot of the events, you know, I don't, I don't charge attendees. I don't make money from this stuff. It's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it. It's tr- truly a community initiative. Yeah. That's amazing. And I don't think you reached the success by accident. I think it's because you give first. Like I remember when we first met, you were just all about like, how can I help you? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah. I can introduce you. And like that really shows in your events because it's so selfless that like it, it just grows and works. Thank um, you. Thank you. So like from starting these dinners and then now you have these very notable people coming. Mm-hmm. What's next? What, what's your what's your vision for this going forward? Yeah. So my and it's really good timing. It, it's it's crazy how. Everything has been just coming together recently. I was just in LA and I had a friend, Shirley, who helped me brainstorm and vision out what my next few years would look like. And mm. I've had some investors come up to me and be like, we want to invest in whatever you do. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting, it's almost like, it's yeah, it's a weird time because everything's just coming together. And now you're asking about it. <laughs> um, my, my, my vision remains to uh, create extraordinary experiences for the most remarkable people. And that can be interpreted in so many different ways. Um, but I want to create physical experiences, a retreat, you know, a, a membership club, a, a social club, whatever, all these things to bring together really talented and kind people. And from there, you know, there's a lot of business opportunity that comes from it. So I'm exploring a few things. I'm exploring what I do. Um, you know, I've learned that I can scale this. I did an event in New York City for a thousand people last week and I, I was in L.A. and it ran itself in New York City. So I'm like, I, I can run this overseas. Um overseas from, from the other coast. Um, so I'm exploring taking that to the next level, which means, um, 
things with more programming, more intention, um, and, and just, you know, I've probably been spending 20, 30% of my time on this. So it's, what would it look like if I, you know, spent 100% of my time? I don't know. You only spend know. 20% of your time on this? Yeah, because Google, I mean, Google is like, let's say it's 40 hours a week, and I'm yeah. working about 100 hours a week. Um, let's say 20, 30% of my time, like less than half is on the events. Half is on Google, and then the remaining is like all the other stuff I do. That's So how... Let's say an event happening yeah. next this Friday yeah. and you're planning it. What's that process like from getting the venue yeah. to like people? Yeah. Do you have a team? Uh, I have volunteers and I have some people okay. to help me out. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say I haven't like, I don't have an official team, but yeah. I have people to help me up consistently. So kind of, but not really. Um, so I, I have four things that you, you could probably tell I'm like a very structured person. Like I have steps. <laughs> uh, any event, there are four things. I hope I remember them. Uh First one is is distribution of people. Who do you want to invite? Actually, let me start with another one. The first one is context, which is mm-hmm. why are you throwing the event? Why do you want to bring people together and put them in a room? That's number one. Uh, number two is uh, who do you want to invite and how do you reach them? What's the distribution? Like the people and how do you reach the people? That's number two. Uh, three is the venue. Super important. Just find a good venue. That's actually where most of the time is spent. If you're not good at events, you're searching for venues. Um, mm-hmm. And then number four is... Um, let's say partnerships and sponsorships. It's like, how do you fund this whole enterprise? Um, any event, I, I remember in San Francisco, I did an event for 500 people in like two days, just from my phone, just texting, activating stuff on my phone. That to me is like leverage. You know, you, you have leverage when you can just do actions like that. Um, That's insane. But any, any event, I got the, I run through those four things in my head and I have like resources and a playbook where I can do it very easily. Um, but yeah, event Friday, I would just go through those four things. Okay. So you can literally run... 500,000 person event in like less than 48 hours of planning. I would say if I was going to stretch it a lot, um, I could probably throw a thousand person event in New York City this weekend from my seat right now. Just by it's texting. Wednesday for everyone. It's Wednesday? Well, like three days. Three days. I could do it on Saturday. And I, I yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Damn, that's very impressive. Like, I mean, I feel like, how, how do you think your skills from product and like mm. what you're doing translate into running your events are they like yeah coming like are you using the same methodologies you do at work when you're running these events so my i would say my my core skill set is operations mm-hmm. the one similarity be behind all the jobs i've done really well is like i'm really operational i'm really operational rigorous um my friends make fun of me if how much because of how much i say that word uh so it's operations everything has a process everything i do has a process mm-hmm. that i can eventually Put into a playbook and then eventually automate. Um, the the product the product is pretty new to me, honestly. Uh, I think what product teaches you is user empathy and how do you how do you actually um, understand what your customers want and your users want. So in this case, you know, I'm looking at these events and I'm like, why do people come? And I'm still going through that exercise. I'm like, why do people come on a why do a thousand people come on a Wednesday or in in you know in, in Austin like fifteen hundred people on a Monday night? They didn't even know who I you know I am or who I was. Uh, like, why do these people come? And it's doing that exercise. I think that's what product really teaches you. Mm. Uh, it's that idea of user empathy and how do you understand their problems and build a solution to, to fix that problem? Not necessarily what they ask for, um, but what they need. Did you find an answer to that? Why people come? It's a plethora. You mentioned it in the podcast. There's a, I still haven't figured it out. Um, you know, I, I have, but it's there's a bit of ego blocking it, which is, it's almost like, um, like I don't have a, like a massive ego. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, it's like, oh, they come because of me. And I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> why they would come because of me. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I'm, I'm still working my way through it. My, my hypothesis is like, it's a combination of like 
The venue is really nice. They know that there are going to be really cool people there, like, you know, the, the smartest and the brightest. Um, and, uh, you know, the design is good. Something along those lines is if I was going to put it in, into paper, like something like that. So you've thrown thousands of networking events. So what yeah. advice would you give to people attending your events mm. um, that want to network with people? Like what advice would yeah. you tell them? How do you network? Yeah, I, I have a ton of pointers here, but, um, you know, a few pointers on how to attend a networking event and make the best out of it is, you know, the first one is, you know, let's say 80% of the value you get from an event or the work you put into an event and the value you get out of it is done before the event and after event. And I think a lot of people, excuse me, if you're, if you're new to networking, I just looked at the camera. Oh my God. If you're, <laughs> you don't want to look. Plug this up. If you're new to networking, um, you don't know any better than to just show up at the event and try to make the most out of it. Right. That's like amateur networking and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but what, you know, really good, like let's say salespeople do or people who are trying to pitch their startup or investors who have very specific motive in mind, they spend all their energy before and after the event, which means before the event, they will do something like they'll host a meetup before the event. Like I've seen that happen, like, you know, South by Southwest, a lot of people are hosting parties before the event or after. Um, they'll reach out to people who are going to pre-connect with them before the event. Uh, and then when they get there, they sort of know exactly how to navigate the room and who to speak with. It's not so much their skill of like being you know, in the space and they're able to like on the fly figure out who's, you know, who's the most relevant person is they've done that research ahead of time. And then after the event, they follow up. Most people never follow up. It's surprising. It's, it's bizarre to me how little people follow up. Um, mm -hmm. The magic is all in a follow up. Even if it's like, Hey, I met you. We talked for like two minutes, but um, I, I think, you know, I think we, we have similar goals and I'd love to help you out. Can we, you want to grab coffee? Like that's, that's what most people should do, but most yeah. people don't. Um, so that's one. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, ways to like sort of build connections at these events that mm -hmm. don't involve that, which are, you know, if you're like, if you are uh, a little bit nervous or anxious, you know, in these settings, which is most people, honestly, I've seen the most brilliant people anxious in these settings. It's a very natural thing. Um, uh, you can do two things. You can one, like I, I say, like go to the line, which is go to the beverage line, go to any line where you're most likely to maximize the amount of inbound you get, which is people talking to you and people smiling at you. So you don't have to initiate. Initiating is always better, but if you can't do it, then let them come to you and go into the place where they're coming to. Or the second thing is like, wear something that is like, uh, you know, flashy or something. And so they'll, they'll compliment you. Wear a t-shirt with a logo on it, something like that. Mm. And I've had people come to my events dressed like a banana. I've like people, this guy came <laughs> to an event with a face, with my face on his t-shirt. Like yeah, literally, so literally. I was like, what is going on? But now I'll never forget him. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of like flashy things you can do to start conversations. <laughs> the banana, what's up with the banana? I always see you post that on the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like two events though. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll admit the banana wasn't as organic as it seems. Mm. Um, he, uh, he emailed me from an email called like banana at banana FYI. And he's like, do you want banana at your event? And he sent me a video of a dancing banana in Washington square park. And I'm like, yes, please show up. Um, and then he shows up to Sony hall. Um, Sony hall is like this huge venue in, in New York city. If it's mm. like almost 2000 or 1500 people. And he's just the star of the show. He's everywhere. The picture, he's in every single picture. Yeah, no, that's, it's very smart. I, I yeah. like that whole thing of like standing out, even though it's like yeah. uncomfortable for most people, but that's the way to do it. Cause at networking 100%. event, my thing is like, you talk to so many people in one night, it yeah. all blurs together. And it's like, totally. I don't even remember who's who. Yeah. So yeah. I'm definitely going to take some of that advice because I am an amateur networker, especially the one about like researching and like throwing something beforehand. Right. I think that's genius. Yeah.
So you you have a different way of networking, um, which is which I I recently saw someone talk about it, which is actually probably how most extraordinary people network, which is you create. You build cool stuff and you share it with the world publicly. So they come to you. That's actually the best form of networking. It's kind of what I do, which is um, it's all inbound. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not really doing. I you know in the beginning I did, but now I'm just creating stuff that is valuable for people until you know f- for them to come to me. And you're sort of doing that, mm-hmm. right? So it's a different kind of networking. Yeah, that is yeah. true because like people do come. Yeah. So how do you handle for you personally at your events? I've seen yeah. only two. I can only imagine what it's like at others. But when you're there. Mm-hmm. People are just like flocking around you. How yeah. do you like handle that? How is that like? Yeah, like that whole. Does it get overwhelming? Um, I I'm like I'm very lucky that I have a ton of energy in the sense that yesterday's event I was there from five to ten p.m. just networking the whole time five hours straight. And Not I thought, everyone can do that. <laughs> I don't even know how many people I spoke with. Uh, but I it, it's a commitment to myself and and the people in in the community. You know, my community or any community that I'm going to show up uh, as the best version of myself and be present and give um, aw- give them attention, awareness, acceptance, and just be a really good human for them in that moment. So any person that speaks to me, um, and I, you know, I'd love for everyone to do this, is I give them my, my full attention, no matter what they do, no matter what they, you know, what they're looking for. Um, cause that's the point of these, uh, you know, these events, you know, they're, they're about human connection mm-hmm. and then maybe transaction second, like business transaction second. Um, so I, I mentally prepare myself like a lot <laughs> before these events. I'm like, I have to show up sharp and yeah. focused and present. And you really do. I'll vouch for it. Like you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're engaged in every conversation. I want to learn this. I, I guess it just comes with practice. There's a lot of, um, I, I've done a lot of work on it uh, in terms of, I'm even going after this to a thing that preaches uh, mindfulness and 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 presence and like how do you just sit there with another human and mm. acknowledge so it's it, there's a lot of like maybe uh, you know I won't say spiritual but a lot of like human connection stuff that you can do that will teach you to have to build empathy with another person and I, I sort of try to bring that into the events as well. So do you meditate? Is that something you do? Uh, yeah, like I meditate. Stay present because that's yeah. a big thing of conversation. Yeah, and I realize it myself because I talk to people all the time when I right. do my videos and interviews. Like, yeah. The times when I have good conversations is when I'm fully present here, engaged, and your mind will drift and you'll try to like think and like you gotta just bring it back. Yeah. So how do you stay present? Present to me, uh, at least what's worked for me is it comes from two things. If I'm sitting here and I'm present with you, um, the first thing on my mind is is uh, is almost out of out of empathy and care. Like I care about your experience right now, so I want to mm-hmm. be the best version of myself for you. Um, the second thing is curiosity and that doesn't come as naturally. That's more like, I'm so, um, I'm so curious about what you're up to. And, and I guess it's, it's legal now in Canada, but like, you know, smoking weed used to make me like that. And I don't really smoke weed anymore, but mm-hmm. smoking weed used to be like, I was curious about everything yeah. and, uh, I don't smoke, smoke anymore, but there was a time where I would, um, I'd be like, uh, you know, when I, when I take substances that alter my, my, my way of thinking, I'd be like, how do I take this? and practice it in my sober life. And actually, I don't drink, there's a tangent, I don't drink alcohol anymore. I'm literally wearing a hat that says no alcohol, absence of proof. Mm. Um, but I'm like, how do I take these and, and leverage them in everyday life? And that's been a, a practice that's been very, very helpful. Um, but yeah, empathy and curiosity. And I do this daily practice that I think Tony Robbins does, and I've sort of altered it a little bit, which is every morning um, you do a few things. You, you, you have your gratitude, um, three things you're grateful for, you visualize things you're going to do successfully that day. Um, but then you also like, 
wish someone else in your life joy. And I just, you know, I always use my best friend, Simon, as an example. You know, he's like currently in the transitionary period of his, of his life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just going to send him love right now, you know, like mentally. And this is kind of like crazy shit, but I'm sending him love. Um, and that's something that's worked really well for me in terms of like, how do you connect with another human? And you bring that energy back to networking and networking is you know, a totally different world. But when you show up, it's like, I care about humans, you know, I care about humans having, you know, bring my curiosity and my empathy to this conversation. Yeah. I feel like empathy is a big one because yeah. like you mentioned that a lot and it's something that I incorporate as well of like, right. I want to be the best for you, for your sake totally. and mine. So totally. I, I yeah. really like that answer. Going back to the alcohol, so I don't drink either. Nice. For me, it's religious reason. Okay, cool. How? Why Respect. did you stop drinking, and like, how has your experience been yeah. from when you were drinking to stopping now? Yeah. Um, so I, I do this. Uh, I do this event in New York City called the Junto Club, and the Junto Club, okay. and it, it, it's a it's a word playoff, uh, or it's a concept playoff. Benjamin Franklin used to do this exclusive club, a gathering of twelve people every month to mm-hmm. talk about politics and art and business and, and culture. And these were 12 people that were curated from his network that he thought was were the most brilliant people. And I do this format in New York City every month. Um, and that's where I met the co-founder of Dolingo Severed and all these other brilliant CEOs and, and leaders. And what I noticed is that nobody at these events were drinking. Nobody drinks. And I was like, and this was at a point where I was drinking a ton, 25 drinks a week, like mm. binge drinking. I realized nobody drinks. And I'm like, these are the people I want to be like. I want to build Duolingo, a um, twenty billion dollar company, or you know, a two billion dollar company, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I aspire to be like these people, and even at the same time, my peers. Um, I have a friend called Avante who built a platform, an event platform called Posh VIP that does like thirty five million dollars a year. He's twenty one years old, and he DJs and opens for people like John Summit, um, and he's like, I don't drink, and I was just inspired by him. Uh, my friend created this brand which is like absence of proof, like, and it's a, it's a, it's a event party company, party event company that does like non-alcoholic spirits. Mm -hmm. And so all the brilliant people in my life were not drinking alcohol. So I stopped immediately like that. Okay. That's cool. Cause it's so, it's also, did you find it difficult stopping? Actually, no, No? I went from 25 drinks a week to zero instantly because I was like, I know what I want. And uh, what I want is, um, to be the best version of myself without regret. I don't want to one day regret and be like, I wasn't able to build this because I was hungover. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. No, it's just because in New York, Toronto as well, but I feel like New York especially, there's such a big drinking culture. It's huge. Where every time you go yeah. with someone, let's grab drinks. Yeah. Every time I go with someone, I just have to like grab a mocktail or something. Just yeah, to yeah. Like, they get off my back of like, you're not drinking? Why aren't you drinking? Yeah. Let's drink. And it's just like, it gets yeah. exhausting, that kind of thing. Did you experience that at all? Or? Yeah, I had a few friends that were like, and, and I'm very stubborn. So mm-hmm. I had a few fr- and I was like, I stopped drinking. You know, my friends and I would go out and I, I still go to bars. I still like go out to like 2 a.m. sometimes. Yeah. Um, and they would be like, why aren't you drinking? And I'm like, uh, or they, they'd be like, why did you quit drinking? And I'd be like, why not? And they'd be like, but why? And I'd be like, but why not? <laughs> uh, so I just go back and forth and and they're they're very frustrated uh, for sure, but I, I know exactly why I want to do it, and now they don't question me because I'll just be I'll yeah. just throw the question back at them. No, that's a perfect answer because yeah. I, I recently saw something I said the, by Alex Hermosi where he's like, yeah. the question why is offensive because it forces you to like justify yeah. your answer, and it's like yeah. when people ask him why not, he's just like because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which yeah. is kind of similar <laughs> to your answer. It's like, why not? Like, yeah, yeah. So interesting. Um, 
I'm glad that you were able to get that. I'm, yeah. I'm an advocate for not drinking. Nice, so. nice. You should check out one of our parties. She'd be great for this podcast. She's all over TV and she's incredible. But if she ever comes here, I'll introduce you to. I'd love. Yeah. For sure. That's a, that actually leads into my next question, which is one of the big things you do. You mentioned is like intros. Mm-hmm. How do you? Is there an art to it? Like, mm-hmm. if I wanted to make intros, how do you go about it? Like, what's your process? Yeah. So I wouldn't say, um, you know, frame it like this, which is one, like there's a mindset of introductions, which mm-hmm. is whenever you, you, um, it, you know, at least personally, whenever I meet someone, I mean, immediately trying to figure out like what, like your one, your vibe and, 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 um, what you're all about, but then two, like, what are your goals and what are your pain points? Mm-hmm. So every person I meet, I'm thinking like, those are the, probably the first two things that come up. Um, as you, so as you can imagine, as I meet more and more people, it's like dog connecting. It's like, if I meet you and you're looking for brilliant people to interview on this podcast, any other brilliant person I meet, I will just connect you to them. And, you know, I don't benefit from it, but it's, it's just, I think we, we, we owe it to ourselves and our community to make those introductions, to create value for the world. Um, so that's the mindset. And most people, I think, um, I'd hope more have, have that mindset and more starting to, but I don't think everyone naturally has that mindset. Um, the second part is how do you actually facilitate that introduction? And that's very tactical. Um, I do this thing called double opt-in. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I interview or sorry, I introduce founders to investors every month. I have a deal flow program. What I do is I ask both of them, are you okay with this intro? Yes. Yes. Then I'll make an introduction. And then in, in the introduction itself, provide context, um, pro- provide something very specific and then, you know, put their contact information in. And that's how you make a good intro. Yeah. The, the one thing I don't like is a lot of people make unsolicited intros, which means <laughs> they'll just put you in the group chat with someone else. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, that's, that's like a kind of a, you know, I'm not a big fan of that because it puts um, unnecessary pressure on both parties. Yeah. Um, it's kind of blindsiding, like <laughs> super blindsided. And they've been, they've been, there's been good intros, but I always, if there's one thing I want to leave the people you know listening with, it's um, always like double opt in. Just make sure they're bo- they both want the intro before you mm-hmm. connect them. Yeah, I feel like the most important part is the first part, which is like doing it for the sake of like benefiting the community as a whole. Because yeah. a lot of people are very self serving, like. Right. They won't do it just because it's like, what do I gain from this? And a lot of people, yeah. A lot of I people feel like think, you're special because yeah. of this, because you, Thank you're you. so selfless in that sense. Like, Thank I, you. I genuinely think that's why you've had the success you've had. Because I won't forget the first time we met, like, you were literally like, how can I add value to you? And like, yeah. I knew you weren't benefiting, but right. that kind of inspired me. And I'm like, okay, I want to be like Andrew. And like, <laughs> I'm implementing that in my life of like yeah. just giving value with like, no expectations or no benefit to me. So right. I love that. And like, I really Appreciate do hope it. people listening or whoever like yeah. takes that and just pushes it. Like connect people with each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to kind of take a different route, which is asking you, how are you so productive? Mm. Cause you do have a lot of things going on. You could put together an event for a thousand people in three days. So yeah. how are you so productive? What's like a day in your life look like? What do you do to optimize your workflow, your Mental health, physical health, all that. Yeah. Um, I've never found a really, I've never found a good way to answer this, but I think the the one thing, uh, or let's say, you know, the uh, beyond like what I'm not, na- what I naturally have that I'm very lucky to have, like, you know, I'm, I, I can focus very easily. Um, I just naturally have a lot of energy, which I'm very lucky for, but that's not helpful for anyone. Um, <laughs> I would say what's helpful for people is uh, one is the idea of the Pareto principle, which is, have you, have you heard Pareto principle? Is it 80, 20%, like yeah. 80% of your results are from 20% of your activities. And that applies to anything at scale. Um, you know, when I was working at, 
uh, uh, Facebook or Meta, first year was hard. It's like 50, 60 hours a week and I was ramping up and it was hard. Um, but then I got to a point where I wasn't working that much because I'd learned how to play the game. And the game is basically uh, doing things with leverage, which is I figured 20, you know, um, most of the stuff that I was assessed on for performance wise could be attributed to only uh, 20% of the activities I was doing at any point. And those activities are like managing up, like being very good at relationships with my leaders, um, being very good at communication and writing. If you're good at those two things in any job, um, you've, you've probably done more than half the job. You know, you've done more than half the job because people like you and they, and they think you're competent. Um, and I apply this to everything else. So, you know, with events, I'm like, what's like the, uh, the one thing that's a really bad ROI and time that I need to automate. And for me, it was venues. Um, I would spend so much time looking around New York city for venues. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I went on like a sprint to meet every single bar, restaurant, hotelier, every single, uh, hospitality person. So I could automate that part of my events. And now I can do probably like seven events a week very easily. Um, so Perito has, has helped me a lot. And then the last thing is like time boxing, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, everyone knows what time boxing is, which is your calendar. Like my calendar is like boom, 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 like stuff yeah. all over. Everything's scheduled. Everything's scheduled. And that's just, that just makes it easy. Yeah. Um, I spend maybe two, three hours a week organizing my weekly calendar. And after I've done that, it's like efficient. I just follow the steps. So easy. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Time boxing is something that a lot of people that have seen success, I feel like they all yeah. incorporate that in one way or another. And like, I think it's so important for yeah. productivity. Super helpful. Yeah. Would you say you have a work-life balance? <laughs> I don't have any, I don't really have any hobbies anymore. My hobbies are throwing parties for people. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything because people have hobbies um, to exercise the creative part of their soul and the creative part of what they do that they're lacking from work. And they, they have hobbies because it puts them into flow and in flow, they're happy and energized and productive. Um, and also to get a feeling of the rush. I get all that from doing my second job, which is the events. So I don't really need a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, what I have thinking, what I have been thinking about though, is there is this common advice out there, this common wisdom that's like everyone should have a hobby <clears throat> where they don't they don't get a sense of achievement from. So a lot of these hobbies, a lot of like high performing people have hobbies where they can level up and and grow in. But there's a, there's an idea of having a hobby just for fun for play. Um, and I'm experimenting with that idea. I don't know why it's such a big idea. It's been such a big idea recently, uh, but I'm, I'm experimenting with it, whether I, I like it or not. But um, yeah, that's something. Maybe it's running. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we'll see how that goes. I just, yeah. I don't really, as I talk to more people, I'm like very curious about this concept of like work-life balance because I feel like, like you said, people have that because they're not getting the stimulation from yeah. what they do. Yeah. Or like they're in some job they hate and they need it from outside. But when I talk to people that are like, I, I don't know what we're, I don't want to use successful, but people that are like very engaged in what they do, yeah. there's no work-life balance. Like There's none. There's just work. There's and none. I love yeah. my work so much that I just yeah. want to keep working. And every waking hour I want to spend doing this. So it's just interesting to see that dynamic of like everyone that's like, I don't even know how to articulate it, yeah. but anyway, it's very interesting to see that. <laughs> I would say work-life balance is overrated. I agree. Everyone is read. Everyone is, and they they hear. But I don't even know where that term came from. But people are like, I that's something I need. You know, I need that thing. I'm like, why do you need work-life balance? Do you even know what that means? 
are you that unfulfilled at work where you, you need that like balance? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's maybe, well, people have different principles, which is like some care mostly about family and relationships and people. Um, but the family thing is huge, which I totally understand, but, um, you know, people are just different. Yeah. That's what I it comes agree. down to. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I hear that, I feel like you just need to pivot because you shouldn't need that escape or whatever. But anyways, enough about that. I want to go into, we do only have 10 minutes left. So cool. I want to hit you with a rapid fire round. Yeah. Where just, it could be one sentence, one word, whatever, but back to back to back questions. Don't feel the need to like shorten your answer or anything, but sure. so rapid fire round. Let's get it. First question is, who's a person you trade places with for a day? Oh, wow. These are hard. <laughs> Who would I trade places for one day? Um, damn. Not so rapid fire. <laughs> no, these are hard questions. Um, I'm trying to think, what would I want out of this? Uh, you know, it'd probably be like the president of the United States or something, like someone who has a view of everything, mm. the highest level. It's the highest level of life where you see how every, you can move things apart. You're like, you're playing God. You're moving chess pieces. So probably, I have no interest in politics, but I'm like curious, like, what's it like to have so much power? So probably that. Like a bird's eye view. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting answer. I like it. Um, next one is, what's your guilty pleasure? Um, I like fried chicken. I love fried chicken. <laughs> Probably that. <laughs> What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Um, the best compliment I've ever gotten is that I'm very thoughtful and considerate. Worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? Why are these so hard? <laughs> um, worst piece of advice? Probably follow your passion. And I just, I see it everywhere and I used to see it everywhere. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, follow your passion, figure out what you're good at, figure out what makes you money. Those, those three things together make sense. Follow your passion. Yeah. Just no. follow your passion. Like, okay, I play RuneScape all day. Like that's my <laughs> game. Uh, what's something you wish you were better at? I would say commanding the room. Um, Tony Robbins is incredible at what he does and that having that kind of skill can solve 80% of the problems in your life. Mm. What never fails to make you laugh? Uh, my group of friends from high school, uh, you know, guys can just like spend hours talking about nothing And it's like the most energizing hours of your life. So yeah. my, you know, my, my, my closest friends, like Simon, my buddies, Josh, like those guys. Yeah. yeah. Those are some of the best like moments in yeah. life. Just hanging out with, with yeah. your homies. Just hundred <laughs> percent. We do have more time. Um, that was shorter than I thought. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to ask one more question, which cool. is, do you see yourself quitting your day job and doing your events full time? Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. I won't say what time horizon because it's public. Um, <laughs> eventually I, I think, uh, for a lot of, for, for some people, um, you know, for, for the longest time, my dream was to work at Google and Facebook in New York city. Uh, but then once, you know, once I got there, I was like, there has to be more. Um, I can't work for a company my whole life. It's very limiting. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you work for any company, not just Google, any company, it's very limiting in terms of how much you can advance and how much money you can make and how much impact you can have in the world. 
and your human potential is extremely limited at any company. So if you have the resources, if you have the ambition, and, and if you have the confidence, and I've never really done it before, but it seems like um, pursuing the entrepreneurial path is the way to go. And that's the plan. I think that's point. the plan. That's what I. That's why I want my green card. Mm. You know, I don't know if that's in the f- next five years, next one year. Like I, yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but it's it's got to be the plan for sure. Okay. This is when I just open it up to you and let you just freestyle. Yeah. Say whatever you want, anything you want to put out there. Say to the people. Uh, freestyle. Um, <laughs> nah, the, nah, don't rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, freestyle. I, I can't. So I, you know. No, I'm explaining. No, you know, I think um, how I connect with most people is is my mission, and it's not my product. It's my mission. My and my my mission is uh, to create a sense of community and to create a platform for the most remarkable people in North America and eventually in the world to connect with each other. And if anyone sort of supports that mission of, of the art of gathering and the art of community, like, um, you know, reach out, come work with me, uh, come support me, partner with me. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's build this together because it's just getting started. And, you know, I have visions where this grows exponentially bigger and something more impactful. Mm-hmm. And I think the world needs this. You know, an article just came out from the New York Times written by the Surgeon General about the loneliness epidemic. And it's, I think, one in five male friends don't feel like Sorry, one in five males don't feel like, or young adults, young males, don't feel like they have a close friend. And that's a huge issue. And that's the impact of COVID. And it's the impact of social media. And it's the impact of everything that's um, been created in the last three to five years. So the IRL thing is is what's most important to me. And I think a lot of people, and I'd love to create it with, with anyone out there who is also passionate about the same mission. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? Uh, I have a website, andrewsmixers.com. It's new. Um, or my Instagram, which is at Andrews Mixers. But here's the thing: I'm not I'm not great at branding, so I actually have like seven different domains. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like three different Instagrams. I'm 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 working with like a branding person to like consolidate everything. But uh, yeah, and at Andrews Mixers on Instagram, AndrewsMixers.com on the website. Okay, perfect. All right, I think that does it. Cool. I gotta do the thank you to Creator Club for hosting the space. Um, check them out. They just opened up a new studio here in downtown Toronto. You can come here, shoot your content, do a podcast. They help you get brand deals, all that. Anything, if you're a creator, it's a must check out. Must check out. It's a, <laughs> it's a must see in the city. All right. So that's good. I think we're good. Thank you for coming. Amazing. Out. Amazing. This is great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great job. Great job. That was, uh, that was really fun. Like I forgot how fun these things were.